You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a new episode. Another installment of the Eschatology series. We're still in the book of Matthew. Uh, on chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. So, um, first off, just thank you for listening and streaming and downloading and all that good stuff. Uh, some new uh, listeners out there. So, uh, hey, thanks for the comments. Thanks for uh, the messages um, and conversation. So, it's good to... Uh, to, to hear uh, not only compliments but that you know that you're being edified and uh, educated I guess uh, on, on some of these things and some of the things you've already agree agree on and uh, all that so anyway thank you um, le- leave a review or give me a thumbs up or whatever you know uh, if if it's YouTube and you're just streaming the audio uh, give me a thumbs up subscribe to the channel check out the um, biblical interpretation series uh that's on there that's actual videos of me uh, so uh if you're on facebook look us up on there give it a like and if you're streaming uh you know on itunes definitely uh give me a star rating you know stars rating four or five stars uh leave a review if it's on spotify i don't know what you can do on there um anyway doesn't matter um but you know share it Share it on social uh, social uh, media and all that good stuff. Instagram as well. Get a lot of stuff on there. So, hey, thanks. Uh, appreciate it. We are officially up to uh, a lot of a lot of downloads. Really, I'll be honest with you here. I'm trying to pull it up real fast, but um, we are in Matthew 24. All right, and this this part here in Matthew 24. Uh, we're gonna to get to it. I didn't know if I should make this uh, two two little episodes or one long one. I guess we'll see. But yeah, we're we're uh, gaining. We're up to six thousand downloads, so that's pretty cool. All right, uh, so we're gonna start in thirty six. Now this is the place right here. Okay, in verse thirty six. All right, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. Um, there is this is I don't know this is the escape clause sometimes first off uh, I guess I could say that uh, let's just I'm pulling up all Matthew 24 here really fast sorry for the uh, delays uh, all right but truly I say to you right in 34 okay Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay, so here, a couple of things. 
uh, the escape clause, if you will, you know? Oh, yeah, well, he said, I know, he said this uh, generation will not pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, which is an idiom, by the way, here. It's not physical, literal, material, heaven and earth. Um, but then all of that, all of that, he's just said, just to say, but the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even me. All right, so that's the escape clause for some people. But it's also just the line, the drawing point here that one uh, verses 1 through 35 deals with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Um, and then here, just all of a sudden, in 36, there's this proposed shift in topics and eras or ages with verses uh, with the verse 36 and then on. And so this is seen as a time transition verse. So the debate concerns whether Christ dealt with two issues, right, or just one. All right. So um, was it the, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem for the first 35 verses and then 36 on the end of the world? Um, that is the drawing line. Most people will say a lot of commentators, one through 35 has happened, but 36 on is still future. All right. Um, first off, is it a big deal that it's divided or not? Yes, absolutely. It's a huge deal. Um, <laughs> it, it really is. So I'm going to actually give you some reasons that's going to de demonstrate why it cannot be divided. It, you just can't divide it. You know, it's just weird. Um, but besides the obvious th reasons, all right, because the obvious is there, it, it's, the obvious is that there is nothing there to indicate that Jesus is switching gears here. There is no time transition going on in his words. There's no heads up to his disciples. There's no changing of topics. So obviously it should be obvious that all of Christ's words here in this entire discourse are discussing the same event and answering the disciples questions at the very beginning all right now i'm going to make one little thing here one little note before i go into those those reasons but on this phrase the the day and hour no one knows all right um this was a familiar phrase. They would have known this, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just going to put it out there. If you want to check it out, you can. First off, simply, he is saying, he's showing his uh, human nature. We, we know and we confess that Jesus was 100% uh, God, 100% man. He's showing his limitation here on that the Father only knew this, not, not, not him as a human. Um, however, he... This is not like some escape clause. This doesn't mean he wasn't going to know him as 100% God. He knew fully, but he was not. He was simply, though, I would say, if you take the prior verses, all right, this generation should not pass away until all these things uh, take place, right? And then here he's just saying that day and hour of that generation, no one knows, right, when it's going to be. But that phrase, the, the day and hour no one knows, okay, is from, from the Jews and their calendar, the appointed times and seasons for the feasts. Um, and they had to go uh, by the moon 
and what was going on. The calendar had to be set by that, by which was in the sky that God had put for those reasons. It's no, there's really no point for that stuff now. We're not to be judged according to holding these things, these appointments or these feasts or even the Sabbath, Paul says in Colossians. But the point is then they would have two witnesses that they would send out to watch the changing of the moon and what was going on here so they could know when they could change the month. They didn't, they didn't have anything pinned down that was certain like we do today. Um, on on all of this stuff, like with the equinox and things like that, a, fu- um, a half a moon, a quarter moon, a full moon. All right. So they were waiting for the changing of the month, and they were they had learned that you could go by the moon, so they would send out two witnesses. And uh, so when they're talking about appointed times and the feasts and all these things that are to take place and the Sabbath um, or the high ones the uh, more important ones, I guess, if you want to say that. Um, As far as the day and the hour of the changing of seasons and months, the day and hour no one knew. They depended on two, uh, two witnesses that would go out and then report it back to the Sanhedrin, and then that's when they would know they could start the calendar month over again. So, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. You're going to have to pay attention all right that's what he's saying it's like the two witnesses what else does two witnesses allude to well there's two witnesses in the uh, <laughs> book of revelation but we're not going to go there all right so there is no heads up in any of this okay so um one of the key arguments by those who divide this is that four times in three different verses okay matthew 24 19 22 and 29 Jesus refers to those days. And then we're told in verse 36, we have a direct contrast when Jesus says, but of that day, an hour, no one knows, right? So you have those days versus that day, okay? So some will say verse 36 starts with the word but, so this suggests a contrast And before verse 34, though, Jesus uses the plural word days to refer to his major subject. After verse 34, he speaks of the singular that day. So there's people who have emphasized these distinctions, all right, that the expression that day and hour gives this immediate evidence of a change of subject matter. Uh, Kenneth Gentry said that we should notice the pre-transition emphasis on plural days in contrast to the focus on the singular day afterwards. Um, He also said that there seems to be an intended contrast between that which is in which is near in verse 34 and that which is far in verse 36. All right. There's this generation versus that day. So it would seem appropriate for Jesus to have spoken of this day rather than that day if he had meant it to refer uh, to the time of this generation. Okay, I, you know, fair enough, that makes sense. But I think that, <laughs> uh, the word that versus some of this, is some, sometimes n- not a great argument. Now, this generation definitely does refer to the present generation that Jesus was addressing. So if it was a future one, he would have said that generation. 
but the 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 use of this it is the appropriate word for something present while the word that is the appropriate word for something that was still to be in the future some uh, but to them reading it in context while he is answering them that day was still future to them it just makes sense right so there's a lot of people who do not believe that that day can be referencing the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So they argue that the singular that day only refers to a future, like concerning us, 2,000 years removed, parousia. Um, but if you compare scripture with scripture, um, I think there's a plain case that that uh, shows that they're, or they are wrong. Okay, and and again, this principle and and hermeneutics is called the analogy of faith. Scripture interprets scripture or compares scripture with scripture. So, if you were to go to Luke seventeen, verse thirty-one, here's the same account. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop uh, with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Okay, so here. Jesus is using the singular expression, that day, and it's clearly refer, referring to the same situation that is being spoken of in Matthew 24, verse 17, which the people who divide the chapter 24 say is speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, Matthew 24, 17, it says, let the one who is on the house stop not go down to take what is in his house. Okay. You can't say that that day of Luke 17.31 refers to a, a past event to us and and then say that that day of Matthew 24.36 is a future event to us because they're speaking of the same event. So when Christ uses the expression, but of that day in verse 36, he's still talking about the exact same subject. Subject. So does it, 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 it just makes sense, okay, that those days would culminate into one day or that day. Those days led to the passing away of the heavens and earth, which is that day that's being referenced in verse 36. So one of the reasons uh, a, a distinction between those days and that day is seen by commentators is because of a preconceived ideal or presupposition that the disciples had asked questions about two different uh, subjects, right? The destruction of the temple and the end of the world. So with this presupposition, the interpreter then sees Jesus changing the subject altogether when it comes, uh, when it comes to verse 36. Uh, so we have to ask, where is the contextual evidence that the disciples had any other thing in mind than that parousia, that coming, or the end of the age that's just been mentioned by Jesus, right? Which is his coming to destroy the temple in, and Jerusalem within that generation. Uh, that it, it would be eyes of Jesus then to import another uh, topic or another event or another time into this context when we want to do is proper exegesis which is bringing out the proper interpretation okay now 
Reason number two. That was the first reason. Okay. Reason number two, or another argument, is that the people who divide the chapter, they say there's this absence of signs in verse 36. All right. They say that Jesus gave signs in the first part of the chapter, but in verse 36, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. So therefore, one day has signs, the other doesn't. So it's not the same day. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, there's people who says he told the disciples precisely when the destruction of Jerusalem would be. It was going to be in their lifetime. They could read the sign of the approaching armies. Uh, closely, and then they could escape it. But of his parousia, no one knows when it would be, neither man, his angels, nor Jesus himself. But we have to take into account the other Gospels, all right? The other synoptic accounts, the three, all three here, we, we will see that Jesus uh, never told them they would know the day in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. It's not there. You won't find it anywhere. The signs that he was giving them was to tell them when it would be near. He never gave them a day. He never gave them an hour, right? Matthew 24, 36 again. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus, as the, as the God-man I've mentioned earlier, this, he's not experiencing omniscience here, right? Jesus himself doesn't know the exact day or hour of this destruction, but he's also using this idiom there that would be clear to them as Jews that there would be people. After, like, you guys don't know when the new month's going to happen. Well, same here, okay? So, now... Many, many want to use the verse uh, 36 to prove that because of that, we have no knowledge of time whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and But that day refers to the passing away of the heavens and earth, which was the destruction of the temple. It was, you know, Israel, old covenant Israel as a nation and the old covenant. So Jesus has already told him in verse 34 that it would happen in their generation, and a biblical generation is 40 years. But they did not know the day or hour that it would happen. Now, when a woman gets pregnant, um, because Jesus alluded to this in verse 8, when he says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains, that when a woman gets preg pregnant, we know there's about 40 weeks until she's going to have a baby. We don't know the day or the hour, all right? If we just let it happen naturally, but all, all we know is that it's going to happen in about 40 weeks. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. And it it's interesting to note that the time prior to the consummation of the kingdom is then often referred to as birth pangs. And that's why he said all these are but the, the beginning of the birth pains. All right. So, um, we should take note of that. So the the Greek word translated sorrows, all right? It means a pain or a throw, especially of childbirth. Um, it, it's used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, translated as labor pains. Um, so uh, if, if you were to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, start at 1 and go through 4, it says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need... Uh, to have anything written to you. 
For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Okay, so the illustration then of childbirth is a biblical one. We know that when the the birth of a child is near, but we're not going to be able to know the exact day or the exactly the hour. Uh, even at you know ten thirty, ten forty five at night, when my wife was in labor with our son, they said that. He wasn't going to be delivered until the next day, probably uh, late morning or in the afternoon. And turns out he was born about five minutes, five minutes till midnight. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they, they just uh, they just didn't know. We, we don't know. Even with today's technology, oh, that baby's not coming until tomorrow sometime. That was about 1030, 1045, 1155. We were holding them. All right. So. Now, third reason. It's been said that the, 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 it's the, the use of the word but. That, that shows this changing of subject matter, okay? But no, the word but's just used as all these just grammar types of things and all that. So I'm not even going to spend uh, use or, uh, time on it except to say that if you were to look it up in Greek here, that at what's being used at the beginning of the verse... Um, is is used uh, eight different times in Matthew uh, 24, all right? 6, 8, 13, 20, 32, 36, 43, and 48. So that would mean there would be uh, eight subject changes within the entire discourse there, and or the, at least, you know, uh, 1 through 48. So... <laughs> You know, that that's just not a good argument at all. So, um, we should be able to clearly prove then that verse 36 is not a transition verse. It should not be divided at all by just, um, um, by noticing uh, Matthew's use of the Greek words for coming, all right? Parousia is used four times in Matthew 24, two times before verse 36, two times after it, all right? He uses it in Matthew uh, 24, 3, and in verse 27, and then 37, and then in 39, okay? Now, um, so not only is parousia used on both sides, before and after 36, but there's also another Greek word, which is translated coming, which is erkomahi. I believe that's how you pronounce it, but this happens in verse 30 and then in verse 42 and it's also used in verses 44 46 and 50 all right so some commentators apply all three of the uh, three coming passages before verse 36 to the destruction in 70 AD and then they say the exact same words used after 36 are future all right so is there two events being discussed in this passage? Does Jesus use the exact same words to speak of two totally different events in the same discourse? 
No. With no indication at all? No. No, it's just not there, okay? So those those are the four main reasons why the chapter cannot be divided. But um, I think, again, going back to Scripture, uh, interpreting Scripture or comparing Scripture with Scripture, we should see that the main reason is that it should be in the Scriptures in Luke 17, okay? So... We know that Mark 13 and Luke 21 are parallels of the discourse. However, in Luke 17, um, it it has some of the same of G- words of Jesus from the Olivet Discourse uh, when it comes to con- concerning or describing the coming of the kingdom. All right, so this is um, in the same uh Words, as I said, in the parallel account of Luke, all right, that all these same signs and symbols are being applied to the questions, uh, the question asked by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom will come. If Jesus is using signs in Luke's account to answer when the kingdom would fully come, uh, that in Matthew's account are applied to the destruction, like if they're the same. What I'm trying to say here, sorry, I get really fast. If Jesus is using signs in Luke's account to answer when the kingdom would fully come, and it's the same in Matthew's accounts, but they're applied to the destruction of Jerusalem, then it should be pretty obvious to see that the two are talking about the exact same event. Luke records the same events as Matthew, but in a different order. The the verses in Luke 17 are from uh, verses 23 to 37. In Matthew 24, it's verses 17 to 41. Now, not all of them. I'm just simply trying to show you where to look. Okay. So, for for many, section 1 of Matthew is, like I said, is 1 to 35. And then section 2 is 36 to 51. So, looking at Matthew, um, at Matthew in its order like one, two, three, four, five. All right. If you look at it that way, you'll see that Luke's account is a little scrambled. It's like two, four, one, five, and three, right? Luke has, um, from, from section, he, he, he's even used from section one of Matthew is followed by one from section two of Matthew. It's all going to sound confusing if you were to see a chart (laughs) or something out, but, um, and then there's this other section from section one, followed by section two. And then finally one from section one, you get the drift, right? It sounds confusing like that, but think of this. If you were to look up Matthew, okay, uh, 24, put it in order. All right, Matthew, uh, in order, one, two, three, four, five. But Luke is a little bit different. All right, take those sections, one, two, three, four, five, compare it with Luke, and you're going to get two, four, one, five, and three. My point is, uh, with Matthew 20, if Matthew 24 really deals with two separate, different events like that happened thousands of years apart, then Luke made a mistake because he mixes Matthew's events up and makes them all happen at one time. So the way I see it is you have one of two choices. You can either say that Luke is wrong And then by doing so, you deny the inspiration of Scripture, or you come to the conclusion that Matthew 24 all speaks of one 
event. Alright, so there's the reasons why that can't be divided, okay? We'll get into the rest of the text in the next eschatology uh, series. So until next time, if you have any questions, disagreements, comments, whatever, send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be a leaven. Thanks for listening.